hosting the Two Blokes Talking Tech. Proudly provided by Web Central. Now, it's time for Two Blokes Talking Tech. There is a lot going on in technology, as always. Follow the latest news and information about technology. It's fantastic to get these speeds on a mobile phone, isn't it? The speeds on this thing are amazing. Two Blokes Talking Tech. Very nice, snappy performance. It's a good phone. Yeah, there's a few pros and cons with this. With Trevor Long from your tech. Now, my advice to people who like this kind of service is... And Stephen Fennick from techguide.com.au. I really like this new service. Gives you that flexibility to hear your music anywhere. Two Blokes Talking Tech. Stephen and Trevor always providing the best advice. Lots to talk about on Two Blokes Talking Tech. This is Two Blokes Talking Tech. Thank you for listening. Thank you for downloading. This is Two Blokes Talking Tech, episode 225. Thanks to the good people at Netgear. Netgear.com.au for all your networking needs and uh, also the Arlo smart security cameras tell you about them again shortly but joining me from the other side of the world because he just hasn't bothered to come home from techguide.com.au Stephen Fennick g'day mate g'day Trevor how are you doing well I'm well and let's let's be honest here right now let's let's be open with our listeners it's very late at night for me but I still sound awake it's very very early morning for you I've, I've asked you to get up earlier than you rightly should and I appreciate that um, so yep. as we warm up into the morning for you, uh, we appreciate you getting yes. up early, mate. Anything I do for this podcast, you know that. That's right. Priori- priorities. Well, let's not uh, let's not hold it off any longer. Let's get cracking. Two blokes talking tech. So last week we were both together in San Francisco. We saw the new iPhones, the new iPads, the Apple Watch announcements, the Apple TV, and. Then importantly, at 5.01pm on Saturday, just gone in, in Australia, um, Friday in America. Um, sorry, Saturday in America as well, but the timeline, I mean, it's just crazy. Um, pre-orders began for the iPhone. Now, we haven't seen numbers yet. Um, often you'll get a, a pre-order number come out. I think that they will release that number closer to sale date because, uh, Steve, they go on sale physically to walk into a store and buy one from a telco or Apple, and the deliveries begin on the 25th, which is still another whole week and a bit away. So it's an extended pre-order period. Um, I I don't... It's interesting. Just on buzz, generally, I don't get a sense that it's as big as last year, and I think that's standard for an interim model, the S model, if you like. Um, But, you know, that's not to say it's not going to do ridiculously well. Hmm. Yeah, I think that uh, d- despite it being uh, the interim model, as we call it, the S model, um, I-, I have observed that uh, the-, the-, the telcos have uh, obviously got right behind it. They've released all their plans. And I think if you go to the some of their sites, all, a lot of the models are sold out. You, know, you-, you can't get certain – I think the rose gold is sold out wherever you go. Uh, all capacities are sold out as well. So we, I ask you this every year, don't I? We, we always ask ourselves, will there be a line outside yeah. the store? Surely it's going to be a year where, you know what, people aren't just going to be bothered, yeah. but we it, it continues to surprise us. And I think this year is probably going to be no different. A lot of people are anticipating the new product. I think even though it does look the same as last year's model, the 3D Touch, the iOS 9, or, or the better camera, live photos, all those features are, are really appealing to people and making this a much sought-after device. There's absolutely no doubt that people will want to see and use the iPhone on day one because they'll want to know what 3D Touch is. And I guess that's a really critical thing, and 
I think I saw it for the first time at IFA, in fact. Um, the concept of the general public being in the show floor at IFA reminded me, as egotistical as it is, it reminded me that we see stuff well before lots of people, and these things are exciting. So 3D touch is an exciting thing. I've I've struggled to describe it on the radio most of the week, um, but I think once people see it, they'll understand that it's it's a way of creating shortcuts through apps. So, you know, I think there will be a queue. And, and you're right about the telcos. You know, this the, the thing I haven't done, and I, and I should, is is compare the plans year on year like let's go back to the i think i started doing the plan comparisons on the iphone 4 um so year on year i think the plans are very 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 different in terms of their inclusions obviously now the majority of plans are unlimited calls we've now got 20 gig data allowances the data plans are the most popular um because i've separated the plans out on 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 eftm.com.au i've separated them out um so that you could uh you could view either plans by carrier, either plans by device or plans by data allowance. And the data allowance are the most um, most read plans, if you like. And yeah. I think that, yeah. that shows that people are first looking at who offers the most data. And, you know, Vodafone and Optus, without question, offer the best value at the high-end data plans because the, the most you can get is 15 gig with Telstra at 135 bucks, whereas Vodafone and Optus are offering about 20 gig for that rough price bracket. But then when you when you scroll down yep. through the data, you start to get some sense that Virgin's doing their best to really tempt people. It's a quite a competitive market this year. Absolutely, yeah. Well, I, I, I also put together some tables of those plans and I, I just included uh, the data limit. I had the, the the name of the device at the top of the top of the table, and then down the side, I had the data allowances from each of the telcos, and just specified in the little in the text beneath those tables that about when the the plans would include unlimited text, talk, and text. Now, for uh, for Optus and Phone, they all include unlimited talk and text. Mm. Virgin. I think they kick in at the uh, the unlimited calls and text include uh, kick into the two gigabyte plan and above. Mm. Telstra, I think the seven gig plan and above. But it, it's interesting to see what kind of value proposition that the the different the different telcos are offering. And, and uh, I think uh, with the tables that I've got on Tech Guide, there you can kind of see like for like in terms of the the data allowances. And the pricing that I've included there is the base plan price, including the handset price. That's total cost you pay per per month. Uh, um, Telstra once again are at the the more premium end of the scale. Let's just say their uh, their plans are a little bit more expensive. Optus again really aggressive in in trying to capture that middle ground. So the offering really good value in the sort of six and twelve gig area. Vodafone I think are, are quite appealing. From the from eight to twenty gig, Virgin I, I found a little strange because their top t- their top tier plan only offers six gig, mm. which um, I think being being a kind of a, a popular telco with younger users, I think they're looking to maybe keep those prices down. Yeah, they, they just young- can't they can't find customers who are willing to pay more than a hundred bucks, and so a hundred bucks is the is the tops for them. I think that's. I think that's a very clear indication of the, you know, the, the audiences for these telcos. Uh, you know, interesting to me, uh, as I said earlier, Vodafone Optus, without question, the most competitive for data, but you can't really argue with Telstra's 
ability to, to offer data. They've done a pretty good job here. You know, if you look at, say, a $99 um, uh, a month plan, you can get a phone, 16 gig nonetheless, but 7 gig of data with Telstra is not, uh, you know, not a bad amount of data. Yeah, no, I agree. I think Tel- Telstra, and, and you mentioned before, it's how... Ha- uh, the, the, these telcos have seen that data is the most important component now for plans. And, and you rightly said that just a couple of years ago, you probably wouldn't see half the data that's been offered today. Mm. So that, that, that's the killer component of all the plans. Um, I think in terms of um, the, the, the all the different telcos all, all obviously offer various features as well, like your Virgin have got your rollover data plans. You can, you can roll tech, uh, data into the next month. Vodafone had the $5 a day roaming uh, if you're traveling around the world. Optus uh, also offer like uh, Netflix subscriptions as well uh, and the ability to add little uh, data packs for just 10 bucks a month. Mm. Uh, and uh, Telstra uh, have their unlimited calls and, and uh, uh, over 7 gig, seven gig uh, their plans and also offering um, free Apple Music subscriptions. Yeah. So each has a little sweetener as well uh, so to try to get our dollars. Yep, and I think the sweeteners are, are critical to the, these days when people are shopping around. You know, especially the these plans have probably never been as important because of the price of the iPhone. Uh, the iPhones are very expensive this year. The dollar has really kicked us around and uh, the, you know, the ability or inability to buy an iPhone under $1,000 I think is a... Well, it's it's a line in the sand, and it's a reason why the telco prices are in very very important. Absolutely, yeah. I, I think a lot of people are, are going to be uh, this this these devices may be priced outside people's reach, unfortunately, but the, because of the dollar. Uh, but yeah, I, I think uh, it, it's going to affect not just Apple in in this regard. You've got to remember that uh, any other new device to come out uh, following net. Now, in this in this type of uh, climate with the dollar, uh, is going to be affected the same way. Although Samsung just got in ahead of Apple with their their, uh, their Gear S6 Plus and the Note 5, and uh, even even they are, uh, they're still expensive, but they're they're not uh, they're a little bit cheaper than Apple phones. I think the Note 5, I think a thousand and ninety nine. That's the cheapest, and the the Gear uh, S6 Edge Plus, yeah, I think, is twelve nine nine and fourteen ninety nine. So they're still pretty expensive too. You're not getting as much uh, much data on those devices uh, in terms of capacity. So uh, it's not just Apple that, that's being affected here. Totally. You know, it used to be, and it's only what two or three years ago, probably four or five to be to be honest. But time skips away from me. It's not that long ago that. Everyone bagged Apple for their pricing. Now, really, it, it isn't an Apple thing anymore. You're right. Samsung have the same issue because of of the dollar. It's uh, we finally realised, I think, that technology is driven by 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 the currency. It's a very critical part of why we pay more in Australia in some cases. But um, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It's um, it's it's a reflection on on a lot of things, and and it's not just Apple that's uh, that's suffering. So, all of those plans um, for the iPhone are available on eftm.com.au, and of course techguide.com.au. We'd be very interested to see who's ordered, who, who's ordered one, who's holding off, who's who who skipped the model, and uh, and and let us know on the on the ziggy zaggy hashtag on on Twitter uh, at Trevor Long at Stephen Fennick. You can reach out and say good day at any time, but. 
Steve, I don't know. Have you? I noticed you. We both got questions on Twitter from people saying, "Should I upgrade?" I think you know the general answer to that question has been pretty clear. If you've got a six, it's not worth jumping to. It's great, but you know you wouldn't sacrifice your your dollars if if you can't afford it. But if you've got a five, five S, five C, or certainly a four, this is a radically radical jump, and it's a it's a very impressive device. Yeah, and there's also ways for you, like Telstra have that uh, that new phone feeling plan where you can mm. be guaranteed a new device every year. And Apple announced, and I'm not sure the, if it's going to be here in, no, a, in, in Australia, where the, the ability for you to also upgrade yearly for a certain fee as well. So you can have the new iPhone every year. Mm. Um, so there are there are ways if you are keen on upgrading to the latest iPhone each year to do that, uh, I think Telstra is probably your best option. And I think maybe even Optus have a kind of a facility like that as well. So uh, if you really want it, jump in. But uh, as you said, I agree. If it's a, you've got an iPhone 6 or 6 Plus, you may want to wait for the 7. Uh, but I, I have had a few few responses, though, from people who are jumping straight in. I think uh, one of our listeners, I think Robert, uh, Robert Rigby, that he's already ordered his iPhone 6 Plus 128 gigs. So yeah. there we go. He's ready to he's go. He's into it. Um, and it's interesting. I, I and this is a very probably a sad indictment on uh, on the the website. But I was on Gumtree yesterday. Uh, I was interviewing the blokes from Aussie Pickers, talking about secondhand uh, buying for for the Your Tech Life podcast. And um, Gumtree have launched a thing, and you can find it if you go to Gumtree and then you click on kind of phones. There's a thing on the left hand side that says Price Checker Sell Your Phone. It's a very good idea. It's very um, uh, it's a good way of saying if you are going to list your phone on Gumtree, for example, um, they've they've got uh, a site where you can kind of go, okay, I've got a 5S, I can click on that. And then it actually tells you roughly or on average what those are going for. So you can sit there, and this is a thing, I actually think there's a lot of savvy people out there who buy phones every year and sell them. They keep them in good nick, they keep the box, and they sell them every year. And they don't, do they don't yeah. lose as much money because they're, they're, you're basically paying three, $300 a year for a phone. Yeah, no, totally right. And I have to correct myself, mate. It wasn't Robert Rigby, although shout out to him, one of our listeners. It was Robert Dor- Doran who, uh, who let me know. He, he's actually said uh, that he's ordered the 6S and the 128 gig. Mm. And he also sent me a photo of him, him with our new Prime Minister, Malcolm Turnbull. So it's, there you go. That's, that's a little random, but... Um, but good luck to him. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Good luck to Robert. Yeah, good on you, mate. Thanks for reaching, Robert. <laughs> Bloody oath. And if you want to get in touch, go to the go to the tweets, the Twitter, the the twit, and uh, and send us a send us one of such messages at Trevor Long at Stephen Fennick and the Ziggy Zaggy hashtag. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. Well, one of the things I, uh, I'm over in the US and one thing I've been uh, watching every night is the new Late Show with Steve Colbert. And I'm very impressed with, uh, you know, his comedic style. He's a, he's, he's a very funny guy. But what, what I'm uh, even more impressed with is the diversity of his guests he has on his show. It's not just, he doesn't just have movie stars and, and, and people quite prominent uh, in that regard. He, he does mix it up a bit in terms of his guests. And in the past few days, I've seen, I think, Elon Musk, the head of, uh, the head, head of Tesla, has been on the program. He's also had a, a Supreme Court justice. So he's had a lot of very various guests on the show, which really is refreshing to see. Uh, his latest, though, was even more interesting. It was the Apple CEO, Tim Cook. 
now, Steve Colbert, he's been uh, an Apple fanboy, you can say, mm. for quite some time. He's often had devices uh, before release. I think he had one of the iPads. He showed that at a at uh, some some event that he was hosting. Uh, he's had the Apple Watch, I think, since uh, just before it was released. So it was, uh, it was a funny interview to see him chatting to Tim Cook about various things. Of course, the, the latest product, uh, the, the iPhone, uh, the iPhone 6 Plus. Uh, but it also showed a really funny side to Tim Cook as well. He, he, uh, he, he's obviously a very intelligent guy and, and very passionate guy about what he does. It, it also delved into his background about him coming out as gay last year, although he said that that wasn't really a revelation to many people. A lot of most people knew that about him, but also about the charity side of Apple as well. It was a really interesting interview to listen to. Yeah, I haven't seen the whole thing. I saw there's a clip on YouTube already of uh, of Tim Cook and Stephen uh, discussing um, uh, Tim moving the company back into kind of uh, charitable work, and and that that stemmed a little bit from his his coming out. You know, it, it's interesting to me um, because he hasn't done many interviews. You know, he's done a few. No. There's been some solid in depth interviews done, but they've all been a bit tech. This was this was solid mainstream media. I, it's a bit of a shift for Apple, don't you think? It is uh, absolutely right. I think you know what uh, he he did joke about um, a few. Like I think in the intro, he said he announced him as uh, Cello Apple Time Cook, and then he goes, "Oh damn!" He goes, "That's uh, that's thanks to my autocorrect. It didn't uh, write that down properly." <laughs> he he also mentioned that, and they demonstrated the one of the new features of the new iPhone 6s. They had the rose gold 6 Plus on there, huh. and they they were talking about 3D 3D touch. And uh, he asked, he goes, "If I hang up hard enough on someone." Well, it'll actually hit them on the other side. <laughs> so that was, that was pretty funny. Well, but uh, he, he also then, he mentioned the fact that Elon Musk was uh, on, on the show uh, the previous week talking about, uh, you know, the future of uh, the cars and the, the, the way we're going. And he did mention the fact that, uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Apple uh, looking at developing their own driverless car, and yeah. Tim Cook, I've read about that as well, and and then and Tim um, Colbert says, "Yes, come on, you, you, Apple, Apple aren't really secretive. Why don't you just let me know?" And <laughs> you know, the audience cracked up, and he had the phone. He goes, "Look, I'm going to video you uh, while you say that as well." So <laughs> it was good to see him uh, not not in presentation. Selling mode, but it yeah. was good to see him uh, talking about uh, he, obviously his life and and how he thought the fact that he came out as gay last year was something that was something that he felt he needed to do to support a lot of people who were being persecuted for their yeah. sexuality, you know, in schools and in other places. And he thought, well, you know, uh, that's something that he felt that he needed to do. And as I said, he's, he mentioned that it wasn't really a massive revelation for anyone who knew him, that everyone knew the fact, uh, all about his sexuality. But he thought he uh, he, he needed to, to to speak up and to help some people that yeah. and support people who were uh, in a bit of difficulty in their own situation. Funny, so funniest it was part. really nice. Side of him. Yeah, yeah, and it was good for Colbert. Kind of broke the ice on the uh, on the coming out question uh, by saying, "So you know, you came out last year as gay. Was that an upgrade or a feature that hadn't been turned on?" <laughs> it was just, <laughs> yeah, I was no, just it was very. Funny. And he actually. 
he responded in a similar kind of way. He yeah. goes, "Well, when people found that about me, it's like it's like they they discovered something that had always been on their iPhone for the first time." Yeah. <laughs> so uh, they good brought it always back to the, the product. <laughs> a very human side to to Tim Cook, and a very interesting shift for Apple. It'll be interesting to see whether we see a bit more of that uh, in the uh, in the months and years ahead because it's a slow-moving shift that uh, that Apple makes on these kind of things with publicity and the like. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech. And we do it all thanks to the good people at Netgear, netgear.com.au. If you've got uh, networking needs and your home or small business, Netgear are other people to talk to, uh, the Netgear Nighthawk range, because it used to be just one great router. Now it's a, a range of routers, modem routers. You've got MIMO technology. You've got AC wireless. You've got VDSL-capable uh, modems built in. You've got a whole range of products available in the Nighthawk range. But bottom line, if it's got the Netgear logo on it, and it's got a Nighthawk brand next to it, you know you're going to get speed, you're going to get uh, reliability, you're going to get ease of setup, and you're going to get everything you need, especially in the family home. The family home requires not just internet, it requires streaming, it requires reliability, it requires coverage into every single corner of the house, because otherwise the kids are just going to complain. Uh, so if you're looking for networking, uh, you need to upgrade your network. Check out netgear.com.au. Our good friends, netgear, netgear.com.au. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. Now, sadly, um, I don't get to a lot of events. And when I do want to get to an event, it's always bloody at a bad time. And this week, uh, there was a drone launch in Sydney. And, I mean, if there's one person that should be at that, it's me. Uh, but I was on air at 2UE at the time. I mean, bad timing by the PR company. Hello. Anyway, let's not dwell on the fact that I couldn't be there. But uh, uh, the 3DR, uh, 3D Robotics is, is the is the company. This is a very interesting looking drone. It's, um, it is finally, and it's been around for a while in the US, but this is a bit of an Aussie launch for it. It's been available through Sphere, our mates, but Harvey Norman are now stocking. It's still a premium price product. You're talking 1800 bucks. It's not cheap. Um, it's, it's one that carries a GoPro, so very similar to the Phantom 2 in that sense. But, um, it has a couple of features that are unique to it, although recent software upgrades to the DJI have made some of these features available. But in the end, this is in that top range. This is in that range that if you actually want to fly a drone that gets beautiful vision and has great capabilities, this is one of those ones you've got to consider, mate. And it's, it's a genuine competitor to the DJI and a genuine one that people should be considering. Yeah, looked looked a nice day in Sydney for that launched event. There's some lovely pictures of it flying above uh, the harbour with the uh, the harbour bridge in the background there. But uh, I, I think that the, the 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 drone market is obviously one that's growing, and there's there's always going to be uh, new products introduced. I'm looking forward to seeing what GoPro have to offer next year when they come up with their own drone. But this, I think, uh, sort of takes that and puts its own little twist on it, the sort of computer-assisted flight and uh, the sort of the ability to control, for this to control itself uh, in some situations is what's most interesting to me because currently anyone who's using a drone, they've, they've got to not only fly the, fly the thing, they've also got to control the camera and try to do two things, kind of two things at once. Uh, although the, the DJI Phantom, as you know, it can hover in place and things like that. But uh, for you to execute certain manoeuvres, for you to film a, a certain way, 
this has apparently pre pre programmed little flight paths that it can allow you to uh, do these preset maneuvers to execute those shots uh, in the controller app. So it's going to be interesting to see whether this will attract someone who's not sort of as savvy a, a, a pilot, but more savvy a photographer to maybe try that out because uh, I think that, that might be a little bit intimidating for some people if they're a bit worried that they're not going to fly this thing very well. Mm. The the features, the, the one feature that it now has that's standalone because uh, the ability to fly around an item. So imagine, I don't know, um, uh, geez, it's bloody hard, but imagine someone standing in the middle of a football field and you want to just fly around them yep. and shoot them. The, the 3DR Solo has that ability, but so does the DJI Phantom now through a software upgrade. The ability to set a path that it will fly on its own autonomously and then come back is now available in both the 3DR and the DJI Phantom. But the, the 3DR has this thing they call, I think they call, call it cable run, where you basically, you, prop, you plot two points on, a, on, the, on the screen, on the map, and the thing will fly itself along that path, and then all you need to do is focus on the camera gimbal going up and down. So that's pretty good. That's pretty cool. I think it'll be, um, I think it'll be well received really just as, a, as an alternate as an alternative to the DJI, it has a pretty solid controller that is a slightly different, has a little screen interface on it that's, that's a little better than the DJI. So it is all about comparison to the DJI, but um, it is, as I say, it is not cheap at $1799, um, which I'm assuming doesn't come with a GoPro because that would be almost insanity, but yeah. maybe it does. Um, the um, No, it's is, not is cheap. It- You've got to look at this as, uh, like, I think compare it, well, let's compare it to the DJI Phantom 3, uh, the advanced 4K model, and that, that's under $2,000. You're getting a 4K camera. Mm. This is $1,800, so it's, it's, a, it's only a couple of hundred dollars cheaper, and you're not getting that 4K camera. No, and you can get one, uh, you could get a Phantom Advance without the 4K for cheaper than this. So I think it is a tough market for them to be charging this much money, but um, hey, we'll find out. And you know what? There's, there's also that thing of not everyone wants the same bloody thing as everyone else. So this looks different. It is different. It, uh, it's a nice, sleek-looking bloody thing. It's a very nice-looking drone. So it uh, comes in a few colors so as this, well. So. It's like the Samsung of the, of the drone world, and the DJI is like the iPhone of the drone world, isn't it? They're that is, without question, the best summary. Honestly, that's exactly what this is it's an alternative and uh it'll be interesting to see we'll get we'll get a hands on we'll have a fly we'll, we'll we'll be able to give you probably the best uh, best advice of anyone because no one knows drones like you and I mate but uh we shall see how we roll as uh, as you come back to the country and we get a, get a hands on listen to two blokes talking tech two blokes talking tech you're listening to two blokes talking tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. Now I know Apple have had most of the of the limelight of late, and uh, their new devices, the iPhones and iPad Pro and Apple T. But uh, a little old company we just mentioned called Samsung has also uh, announced something pretty major in their their tablet lineup, and this is their Hero tablet, the Galaxy Tab S two. Now uh, the, you can remember the original Tab S which included that incredible super AMOLED display that we know so well on Samsung smartphones. Well, imagine that on a grander scale. You've got an 8-inch and a 9.7-inch version, the Galaxy Tab S2. What amazes me about this device is that it's just 5.6 millimetres thick. It, uh, it's so thin and light. So... Uh, it's so not only can it offer that amazing screen, but also pretty solid performance. It's got the octa-core processor, three gig of RAM, 
and uh, also has productivity tools on board like Microsoft Office Suite, uh, so you can stay productive. Uh, and I think it's it's a really impressive alternative to the iPad. Actually, it looks a lot like the iPad Air 2 now with the narrower bezels down the side, similar sizes now offered. You know, do, you, do you think this is a tablet that can tempt uh, people that may even be considering an iPad? Could this draw them away uh, from the Apple family? You know, I, I firmly believe that that's Samsung's biggest struggle. Um, and I'll give you an example. We, we sat in a cab. Uh, in Berlin with a, an executive from a large mobile phone company talking to a cab driver about why he wouldn't buy their phone, even though he wanted all its features. Mate, the Samsung tablets, I mean, the last year's Tab S was sensational. I mean, just a brilliant device. But how do you convince someone to buy that instead of the iPad or something else? Um, a lot of the time, people are just drawn to the iPad for it's, it's general appeal, not because of its features, because if you put them side by side. And you know what? This is not unique to technology. I was thinking about the other day. It's cars as well. I mean, why so many people buy Toyotas? I don't know. They're not that great. They're not, as, they're not better than any other. If you sit them side by side, there are so many other cars in the same price range, if not lower, that have the same features, if not more. But there's this allure about uh, a Toyota car because of the, the reliability, the number of dealers, whatever it is. And Samsung struggles from that same thing against Apple. Um, it's very interesting to me, mate, because this is a cracking good device. So how do we get people to buy them? That's what Samsung would be banging their heads up against a wall saying. Absolutely, yeah, that's a real challenge, I think, to, to go up against the power of the brand of Apple, one of the most powerful brands on the planet. Uh, just the whole, not only from the brand recognition, the brand satisfaction, and you know the quality, the sheer quality of the product. Let's face it, Apple products are, are top-notch. Uh, so that is, that is quite a challenge to draw someone away from that. I think Samsung's best bet, and I think in this case they've done it, uh, they've got to compete on price. Their, their price for these devices are, are pretty good. Uh, what keeps the price down is the fact that they're relatively low memory capacities. I think they've got 32 gig on board, but they do have those expandable micro SD card slots. So that, that does keep the price down for the user. They then decide what, uh, what extra memory they want to bring to the table. So that's probably their best hope of challenge. Is you know we know it's a quality device. The screen looks fantastic. It's really thin and light. Uh, that could be the deciding factor. And, and I have listed the prices on Tech Guide there. They've they've come in pretty competitively with pricing. I mean, they're the lowest price for uh, the the eight inch Wi-Fi only version is four ninety nine, which uh, is not not a bad uh, not a bad entry level price. Mm. No, they've done very well. Um, uh, details, uh, photos, and all those kind of things are available at uh, techguide.com.au. Speaking of techguide.com.au, now you had a story this week, uh, and I know you were talking to Chris Smith about it on uh, 2GB today as well, about why millennials are the most risk of online threats. And it's an interesting um, amount of research that's come out of uh, Norton, a security company Norton. The problem is they they just don't seem to care too much for their privacy and security. They, they're literally willing to gamble that, aren't they, mate? 
Absolutely right. Yeah, this is a really interesting survey. And Norton, you've got to remember, this is a company that is, is constantly looking at the latest threats and trying to stay ahead of the game there against cyber criminals. And they, they see a lot of, uh, they, they make a lot of observations about our, our online behaviour, the various age groups and, and our attitude to our online life. And, and they're, their research has thrown up this, this it's pretty alarming that, that millennials, which is a, a term we hear so often now, millennials are people who are age 35 and under. So people that were born just before or around the turn of the century. Uh, and, and this is a group of people who are what you could call safely probably you know, digital natives, people that mo- most of that age group have had their entire life. They're sort of born into that online world. And yet, despite all that, despite their to their savviness, their, their their ability to understand and use the internet uh, like it's like it's an everyday thing they take for granted, they're still taking a lot of risks and taking a lot of things for granted and being identified as Norton as the most at-risk group and, and doing things like oversharing online and not having uh, security passwords not having uh, their Wi-Fi network secured. I mean, really? Uh, this from a group of people who you think should know better. That's right. And this is the thing. They're, these are the people that the older generations are turning to for technology advice, yet 52% of them don't even have a bloody password on their home wireless network. Yeah, no, it's remarkable. I think, uh, you know, one one thing uh, that... I, I, I made this point when I was on talking to Chris Smith on 2GB yesterday, or today for you, um, was the fact that there's a, the people who are cautious are the people who remember life before the internet. Now, the, the, the internet is this thing that they've got to be wary of, whereas these millennials don't kind of have that, that safety mechanism in their brain. They think, well, it's been here the whole time, it's going to be here all the time, and that's just the way it is, and, and that could be for some people uh, an alarming, alarming way to think. And and unfortunately, some people could end up the victim of, of identity theft. Could be end up the victim of fraud. Can can really be uh, can really be inconvenienced and and suffer financially as a result. So I think there's tips there that Norton have uh, have uh, uh, in, uh, suggested for these millennials to uh, wake up to themselves and uh, take online life seriously. Exactly. Stop fooling around, you crazy little crackers. Uh, you can read all those uh, studies and uh, research data at techguide.com.au. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech. With Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. And quickly, mate, before we get to your minute reviews, I did overlook uh, actually contributing to the rundown. Uh, I just did whatever you said. Um, a lot of thought goes into this show, I should say. But uh, um, a quick note about the, the story of the day uh, at the moment was Facebook adding a dislike button. And it got so much publicity, it was almost ridiculous throughout the day to the point where I spent my lunch. Like- oh, what's that, mate? Did a lot of people like that story on yeah, Facebook? No, or? no, yeah, it was good. Some of your best. Um, <laughs> but the thing was, so many people wrote this story. It was massive clickbait because Facebook isn't adding a dislike button. If you actually watch what Mark Zuckerberg said, he said they get a lot of questions about it, and he, he can announce today they are working on a solution. And the solution 
is to allow people to emote, to allow people to expre- express some emotion. He right outright said, we're not going to do a thumbs up and a thumbs down. We don't want to vote up, vote down. So my thought and, and my, my story was that I think they're going to go with a smiley face style approach, you know, the ability to kind of choose an emotion, uh, which is essentially what the emojis are um, on, a, on, a, on a post so that, you know, there's not going to be trolling, there's not going to be abuse. There's just going to be the ability to say, you know what, I'm sorry for your loss. That's, uh, that's probably the most important emotion people need to be able to express because clicking like is very hard thing to do when someone is announcing that you know something tragic has happened in their life and also a lot yeah. of people have arm's length friends on on facebook and there's so i'm not close enough to you to make an actual comment and and even say i'm sorry for your loss it's just it, it feels like a boundary too far so i think that that's what they're working on is that the quandary of how to add that as a feature so i, I think what do you think i think it'll be quite interesting to see how they how they pull this off Absolutely right. I think the fact that we're talking about it and that other people are talking about it and it's it's a part of our life. Like this is how, like how many people, we don't see every single one of our friends every day in person, yet mm. we can see what they're up to on Facebook and allow us, that, that, that for, for many people, that's the only way we can communicate, that we have been communicating. So finessing that relationship is a smart thing to do. I agree that we shouldn't have a dislike button because it, people can take that the wrong way. But uh, having that ability to have that distinction between just having a like and other responses, I think, is a smart move on Facebook's part. Very much so. So uh, I've, I've put my thoughts up on eftm.com.au. Listen to Two Blokes Talking Tech. Let's get cracking on some minute reviews. And mate, you're kicking it off with a a camera. Well, I'm a assu- look. To be honest, I'm assuming it's a camera. Well, it's uh, it's the DMC CM1 from Panasonic, and this was reviewed by my good mate Chris Oten, who's a professional photographer, and he often does some work for Tech Guide, and he put this through its paces. Now, the question I ask though is, it's it looks like a camera from one end but then looks like a phone from the other end. So is it a camera with a phone on it or a phone with a camera on it? Uh, Chris put it through its paces, and the answer to that was the, the camera portion of the device is uh, is top-notch. Uh, it allows you to take some amazing photos, which he's uh, put up on that story. It's got, a, it's got a Snapdragon processor, 2 gig of RAM, so it's running Android. So it's got all, all the, it ticks all the boxes on the phone side. On the camera side, it's got a 20.1 sensor so you're catching images through the 10.2 millimeter you know which is 28 mil to uh, equivalent in 35 millimeter lenses so yeah and, and it's got the Leica L Merit lens as well so you, you've got some pretty good hardware at your fingertips there and it also lets you get into manual control and take a variety of photographs uh, and obviously in a form factor that just can fit in, the, in your back pocket so for any, all of you Instagram fans and those who people who love to share photos the CM1 uh, takes brilliant pictures and gives you that connectivity to share them now on the downside the battery life is something that Chris commented on about how you know you're snapping away with such a powerful camera that often your battery is uh, is is pretty low. If if you're out if you're out uh, shooting during the day, don't expect to have much power, uh, much battery power left in the in the afternoon. So that's probably the one of the only downsides of the device. Uh, but it does take. Uh, Great, great pictures. It shoots raw in raw format as well. It's a great macro shooter. 
and uh, also has expandable memory. So check that one out, the Panasonic DMC1. Priced at $1,299. It's not cheap, but I think that's more more of the camera side rather than the phone side there. So check out the full review at techguide.com.au. And this next one we saw in uh, Berlin, and you, you had a you got a chance to do a video, so you can actually demonstrate this on on Tech Guide as well. But it's um it was originally called Project Morpheus, and now it finally has a real name, which is PlayStation VR. Yes, now this is a this is a product that you really need to experience to appreciate, and I did just that as you mentioned at uh, at IFA, and took someone took a video of me actually using it, and I do look a bit of a goose ducking down and moving around, but. The, for, for me, I was in the game. I was totally absorbed. Uh, I had this uh, incredible 360-degree uh, view of this environment. I played a game called The London Heist, which uh, at, at first I started, someone was interrogating me. Then there was a flashback scene where I'm in a bit of a shootout and there's a desk that I can hide behind. Uh, my, my hands were the PlayStation Move controllers. So this is literally a game changer for when it comes to these sorts of games. This is going to be a massive product when it comes out in the first half of 2016. It's very comfortable to wear. It's got uh, high 3D, 3D uh, goggles so that it, it fits tightly on your head so that no matter where you turn, it does turn in response so you can look up and down and around, even look at your virtual hands and things like that. Uh, and the, the, it's 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 really responsive. I think it's got a 18 millisecond uh, lag time there. So for for gamers who are concerned about that, I think uh, this performed really well. This is going to be a massive device when it comes out. I, uh, I I'm not not uh, I'm sure it's not going to be a cheap device either. It's, it's probably going to be well over a thousand dollars but boy the experience is absolutely brilliant it is second to none very nice i uh, look forward to having a bit of a play myself and this could be the vr that really sets it apart because of you think about the the move controllers the stuff they've got that actually makes it a much more immersive thing than just whacking a smartphone in a headset so uh uh, a genuine game changer in virtual reality, and you can read all about it at techguide.com.au. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick. Well, lucky for you, you've got the day ahead of you. I have <laughs> a couple of hours sleep before the children come running in and uh, wish my, mother, my my wife, their mother, a happy birthday. So, Jesus, oh. Oh, it's all happening here. But anyway, good luck. Birthday is long. Yes, well, she'll see whether I'm in the good books tomorrow or not because I bought her a, a handbag in Berlin. Um, and um, if, it, if it's no good, I'm dead, basically, because it's all I've got. Ah, and, you'll be right. Oh, yeah, cheers. Oh, I'll let you know. <laughs> you, can, uh, you can subscribe to the podcast at iTunes and on Pocket Cast. You can engage with us on Twitter at Trevor Long, at Stephen Fennick. Use the Ziggy Zaggy hashtag just for giggles. And, uh, Stephen, we shall talk again next week while you continue your uh, very important business meetings across the great United States of America. Absolutely. I think next week I'll be coming to you from New York. So uh, hopefully the time will be a bit better for us, mate. So uh, look forward to chatting to you then. We shall talk then. Thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. We're back again next week. Two Blokes Talking Tech. You're listening to Two Blokes Talking Tech with Trevor Long and Stephen Fennick.